If I were to uh, mention the name Steve Jobs, how many of you would know who that is? Okay. Uh, if I mention the name uh, Steve Wozniak, how many of you would know that name? If I would mention Ronald Wayne, who would know that name? Well, I'm really shocked. I've never heard of him either. Oh, you, do you know who he is? You sure? Ronald Wayne, all right? He's not your hunting buddy. He's somebody else there. Uh, but uh, Ronald Wayne was one of the three founders of Apple, along with the two Steves. Ronald Wayne was one of the founders of uh, the Apple company. Uh, they met while working at Atari. Now, those of you who are old enough to know what Atari is, that's kind of way back there. But they met there, and Ronald Wayne joined Apple to kind of keep an eye on the two crazy ones, which are Steve, the two Steves. They were the geniuses, and Ronald Wayne was kind of the older, mature one. Well, Ronald Wayne, uh, he uh, was very instrumental in Apple in the early beginnings. Uh, Ronald Wayne, uh, he, uh, he uh, took a, made a partner's agreement where they, re, where they agreed to receive 10% of the company. Ronald uh, wrote the first Apple manual. He drew the first Apple logo. If you remember the multicolored uh, logo they early had, uh, he designed that. And, uh, but Ronald Wayne only lasted with Apple for 12 days, and he quit because of working with these two guys that by their genius, uh, he just couldn't handle it, and he quit, walked out, cashed in his 10% of the company for $800. Now, you already know where this is going, don't you? Had Ronald Wayne kept that 10%, Apple Computer Company, or whatever, Apple, the Apple Company, this month is worth a net worth of over $2 trillion. A bigger net worth than most countries have. And Ronald, of course, he had no way of knowing this, right? Uh, but his 10% share would be worth over $70 billion. That's, B, that's billion with a B. But he quit a little too soon. Would you agree? He just quit a little too soon. Couldn't have 12 days. Well, I think all of us, all of us have either quit or been tempted to quit from time to time, you might be here today, and you just, you just feel like quitting. Maybe whatever it is. It may be a job. might be a marriage. might be a church. Whatever it is, just, you just kind of feel like, you know, I'm going through the motions. Is it all worth it? And you just feel like quitting. Sometimes quitting comes when we begin to question why we're doing what we're doing. Is it really worth it? A few weeks back, when we were talking about uh, pit theology or dealing with doubts, rather, I think it was, you remember we talked about John the Baptist, and he was uh, in Matthew 11. He was in prison, and he began to doubt and question 
whether Jesus maybe wasn't the Messiah. I mean, he just, and so he sent one of his messengers, one of his disciples, to go find Jesus and just re- get reassurance and ask him the question, are you really the Messiah? You know, he needed some assurance, and sometimes that's all we need is some assurance from time to time to just know that we're on the right track. Can anybody identify with this? All right, one of you. Okay, then Arnie, you and I, this message is for you and I today. All right? All of us, whether it's now or next week or last month, there are times when, now there may be certainly confining things. You may not quit because, you know, you kind of like the paycheck. That's kind of a handy thing, right? Uh, But there's times in which you might, be able to go through the motions on cruise control, but in your heart and in your spirit, you've kind of just checked out. And you've just kind of checked out and wonder, is this really worth it? This isn't what I signed up for. And sometimes we just need assurance that we're on the right path, that we're, you know, God, that you're in this, that you're paying attention. You ever wonder if God is even paying attention to what I'm going through? Sure. Well, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to look in Acts chapter 5. But I just before we look at the passage, I want us just to kind of remember the context. You know, we, of course, we did a whole series through the book of Acts, and you can uh, check that out online. But from Acts chapter 2, Jesus has been ascended. He's resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. And Day of Pentecost, and God's Spirit is poured out, and the church is birthed at Pentecost, and there's great forward motion of the church and the gospel being preached. People are getting saved. I mean, 3,000 in one day, maybe more like double that, because traditionally they didn't always count children and women. And so the church is growing, and God is blessing, and there's miracles, and all those things happening. And look with me at chapter 5, and we're going to read uh, from verse 12 through 18. It'll be on the screen for you to follow, but I do hope you brought your Bibles or some device that can follow along. You'll learn more that way. But look with me at Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they, the disciples, who later we know as apostles, were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's at the temple. Yet none of the rest dared to join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Verse 16, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, demonic spirits, and they were all healed. Good things are happening, right? Right? Would we all agree? I mean, things are rocking and rolling, right? They wouldn't have said that. Maybe the message translation, but, but things are going. Things are happening. And then verse 17. Verse 17. 
then. Say then. then. We all have a then. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. You had Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious groups. They opposed Jesus and, and opposed the disciples. And they were filled with indignation. Your version might say they were filled with jealousy and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, things are going pretty good. Things are going well. And all of the sudden, verse 17 then. You ever have a then? You got a then right now? And you wonder, God, are you, are you up there? Are you paying attention? Do you know what is going on in my life? Do you see what's going on? Have you left me? Have you forgotten me? And that's where sometimes we get into that moment where we just begin to wonder, is it really worth it? And maybe, maybe this is the end of the game. And I'm going to just quit and go do something else or go a different path. Well, this morning we're going to talk to me and Arnie and y'all can listen. The title of today's message is What to Do When God Won't Let You Quit. What to do when God won't let you quit. And this morning I just want to use this section of Scripture and look at three principles that to keep in mind when we want to quit. Tossing the towel, can't go any further, ready to do something else, feel like a failure. Three principles from God's Word. But before we do that, can we pray one more time and just ask God, ask God to help us hear His Word today. Thank you for being here and thank you for uh, your faithfulness online. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your Word today and we pray, God, that you would help us today be listeners, to hear what the Spirit says to the church today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable. In your sight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three principles to keep in mind what to do when God won't let you quit. Number one, never make a decision to quit when you're in the middle of a temporary setback. Is that relevant right now? Never make a major decision to quit when you're in the middle of a temporary setback. Some people, certainly not this crowd, I would suspect, but some folks think that when you become a believer, when you're born again, when you're a Christian, that from then on, life is just smooth sailing. Now, you all are smiling even through your mask. I see them tightening up. You, are, you know that they're... That is not true, that, that just because you are a Christian does not mean you're never going to have a problem, you're never going to have a trial, you're never going to have a testing, you're not going to have adversity. That is just not the testimony of, the, of Scripture. And I think we basically, I think we understand that. Let me ask you three questions, okay? Three questions. Was Jesus in the will of God? Okay, we agree with that. Good. Was Jesus ever out of the will of God? Never. 24-7, he was perfectly in the will of God. And the other question, the last question is, did Jesus face trials and obstacles? Yeah. So that tells me 
that you can be right in the middle of the will of God and the purpose of God and still feel like all hell is breaking loose around you. But our tendency, right, is to question when adversity, obstacles, and trials, and things, when, verse, when we get our then, we begin to question and think something is offline. Something is wrong. I must have missed the boat. I have maybe not heard what God has wanted. Maybe I made this, this, whatever it is, and we begin to question ourselves, right? That's very normal. Jesus himself had trials, obstacles. He had betrayals. He had persecutions. He was rejected by his own family, loved ones. Remember the Garden of, of Gethsemane? Couldn't even get somebody to pray with him an hour. They're all sleeping. I mean, sweating drops of blood. I mean, the cross. I mean, Jesus Christ never was out of the will of God, perfectly in the will of God, and yet faced tremendous obstacles. Look at John 16, 33. This is from the New Living Translation. Jesus reminds us where he says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, say here on earth, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Being in the will of God does not mean that you're immune from adversity, that you're not immune from setbacks and trials and you name it. James you know the scripture well, James 1, again from the New Living Translation, dear brothers and sisters, does that tell me he's writing to Christians or, or non-Christians? He's writing to believers. When troubles of any kind come your way, that's how he starts out, right? Christians, when troubles come your way of any kind, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Doesn't that kind of needle you a little bit? Come on, man. What do you mean great joy? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Perseverance. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. Look, since I just said March 15th, I think it was the last time we met before we stopped meeting, but it was about the middle of March, these six months, this has been a weird time. We've never, you know, gone through anything similar to this corporately as a as a nation, this is a time in which people have had setbacks and anxiety, depression, uh, just questioning life, career. Maybe some of that was brought up on you and you had to make some mid-course adjustments you didn't want to make. In other words, that in these six months, we hit our then Everything, now I'm not saying you didn't have troubles before, 
But it just seemed like, bam, the rug got pulled out, and here we are. And this isn't going to be done. I thought and told many of you and said, by Easter, this will be, yeah, we'll be back having Easter service. First of May, Sean, we'll be, we'll be. And then I just stopped saying anything because I realized I don't know. And in some ways, we still don't know. Don't make a decision to quit when you're in the middle of a temporary setback. That's not the time to make a major, especially to to give up and to quit. But there's a second principle to remember when God won't let you quit. Secondly, never make a decision to quit when you're tired or angry. It's kind of like don't go shopping, grocery shopping when you're hungry. (laughs) Never make a decision to quit when you're tired or angry. And sometimes you're angry because you're tired. Look back at uh, Acts chapter 5. In verse 18, they're in jail. Do you realize that this is the second time in two days that they've been put in jail? If you just flip back over and look at uh, the beginning of chapter 4, verse 3, they were put in jail the first time back there. And now they're in jail a second time. I mean, do you ever feel like you've just weathered one crisis, your head is just coming up, your little nose is just breathing some oxygen, and all of a sudden, it's like somebody out there has got, what's that little game, the little, where he has the hammer and the things pop up? What is it called? You feel like somebody's just whacking you down, you know, you're like, can I get a break? Can I just get some slack here? Well, I mean, here they are in jail two times in two days, and you're like, really? Again? Here we go again? Listen, when we're, when we're tired, our emotions are frayed, we're irritated, we're tired, we're not getting rest, that is not the time to make a, 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 a and quit and make some decision that will affect our family, our spouse, our, I mean, that is not the time to do it. It's the time to say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and trust God. I'm going to put what James 1 says, that I lack wisdom. Wisdom is, I heard somebody say this, said wisdom is just the right application of what you know to do already and when to do it. I need the wisdom of God. I need, the, I need the God to help me navigate this Because if I start taking matters into my own hands, we talked about Abraham. He had a tendency to do that, didn't he? He was a man of promise, but every once in a while he questioned and doubted God, and he decided he was just going to help God out a few times and didn't turn out so well. We do that, and it never turns out well. And the time to make a major decision, certainly a decision to quit something and bail, is not when we are fatigued and tired You know, God has done something for his creation. He has built something into his creation 
from the beginning to be something that would benefit his image bearers. You know what that is? What God has hardwired into his creation? It's called the Sabbath. God did that. God built that. Look at Deuteronomy 5.14. You just see a, the, the complexity and the, of the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5.14, Moses writes, But the seventh day is the Sabbath. Sunday is not the Sabbath. The seventh day is the Sabbath. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, comma, nor your son, nor your daughter nor your male servant, nor your female servant, you could say employees, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Do you see what God has hardwired into creation? There was an all-encompassing effect of this Sabbath rest. Everyone was to benefit by this Sabbath rest. Now, we don't have time to get into it, but there is a difference in the uh, continuity from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We today, we are under the New Covenant. We do not celebrate the seventh-day Sabbath, okay? That was under the economy and, and dispensation of the Jews and um, and we no longer are under that obligation. One reason is, is because Hebrews 4 shows us that Christ, who was the type of that Sabbath, fulfilled as our ultimate Sabbath rest. The rest, humanly, was just a type or a prototype, a picture of the Sabbath rest that would be fulfilled in Christ. And if you want to get more into that, I covered that in one of our Colossians study when we covered Colossians 2, 16, 18, and you can go on the website. That was from April 29th, and I went into all those differences in some detail. It's never commanded for the New Testament uh, believer. Uh, Christians began to meet corporately on the first day on the Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead, and so we are not under the obligation of the Sabbath day, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm stepping back and saying that God instituted a principle into the rhythm of a human being's week, not just human beings, but your dogs, your cats, your, how many of you got some ox that you had to feed this morning, some dog, I mean, in other words, it's all, in, it's all, uh, in its totality covers creation and, and again, there was even legal regulations under the Jewish economy to give a Sabbath to the, to the crops, to the, to the ground. And so the principle is, is that if we, don't, if we get too lost in the weeds about keeping a Sabbath day, we miss under the new covenant something I think God wants us to remember is that God has designed in his creation and in his image bearers the necessity for rest. You're with me? That that is not an option. And see, the Sabbath rest is not just sleeping in on Sunday mornings. You know, God 
gave the tithe, which was 10% out of the hundred, a portion to represent the whole. It wasn't like, okay, I did that for him, now the rest is all mine. No, it was a representative of the, 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 the 10 was representative that it all belongs to him. And so the one day that God has built in, baked into his creation, is an acknowledgement that God, this day that I set aside, in which I set aside the work, the stress, and but it is, it is something that is meant to renew, refresh, but also, and this is what I want to say, to reconnect to our Creator. Give an example with Jesus. Remember, don't make a decision when you're tired, when you're angry, frustrated. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry, did he? I mean, Jesus was in charge of everything. Even when somebody wanted to do something, he said, this is not my time. I mean, he was, he was totally in charge. He told Pilate, he said, you, don't take, you can't take my life from me unless I give it to you. I mean, he was totally in control. He was never hurried. But yet, when you look at the life of Jesus, he was inundated with people and crowds. And a lot of the time, he, he just barely could catch his breath. I mean, you can imagine when the, the people would hear him in the, in the area and they would come and they would bring the sick and the demon possessed. I mean, it was just all the time. Events happened so quickly, one to the other. And don't turn to it because that won't be on the screen, but you just may want to make a, a note of it. In Mark chapter 1, in one day, he went from preaching in a synagogue to casting out a demon healing a sick friend, ministering to the whole city that gathered at his door at sundown, and that was just in one day. And what's interesting, when you look in Mark chapter 1, and you look at the next verse, verse 35, maybe just make a note of it, or maybe it's on the screen, I'm not sure, yeah, there it is. The next day, after all this ministry, Jesus was not half human, half God. He was fully human. He was fully divine. That's, that's orthodox Christianity. And so in his humanity, he hungered. He felt tired. You know, he was tired. But look at the very next day. Now in the morning, this is after that long day. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. After ministering to others, after serving others, after laboring, working, Jesus left everyone and took time to renew, refresh, but reconnect with God. You see, sometimes the reason we're tired, we're angry, we're frustrated, we're afraid, we're anxious, all those things... Yeah, it might be because, and many of you work ridiculous hours. I hear some of you just, you know, and God bless you. But you cannot escape the rest that God has built into his creation. You're born again. If you're a born again Christian, God desires that reconnection regularly. You prioritizing coming to church on Sunday I'll be honest with you, some, and it's not unique to us, it's just across the board. Church fits in. If I don't have Disney tickets, 
if my nephew's uncle's cousin's neighbor's friend is not coming through Lakeland? Um, I mean, and so if there's nothing else to do, well, I guess we'll go to church. That is kind of the mentality. Is that legalism? Don't, don't pull that. That's not legalism. That's just saying you, your, your, your heart is revealed by where you put your treasure. What do you treasure? Do you treasure the gathering of the saints? And so the Sabbath has nothing to do with just sleeping until noon and binging on Netflix and calling that my Sabbath rest. Baloney. <laughs> the Sabbath rest was designed for us to physically get replenished, but also to reconnect spiritually. And you could be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Man, you can go after hell with a water pistol, right? Because the presence of God, have you found that when you refresh yourself in the presence of God, have you found that to be a rest in the midst of chaos? There's a third principle. Never decide to quit when you're tired or angry. But the third and last principle to encourage us in his word today is never make a decision to quit when you're temporarily unfruitful and have no joy. Looking back to Acts chapter 5, where, where are these disciples? Where, where are these apostles? They're where? They're in jail. They're in jail, right? Nothing is happening. Everything is shut down. Things were going great till verse 17. Sound familiar? We're not in jail, but things kind of took a shutdown in some ways. Look at verse 19 and 20. Verse 19, but, an, but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Okay, that's kind of cool. Angel of the Lord gets them out of prison. Man, that's exciting. But, but you know, man, I, I've missed this so many times. What did God, through this angel, tell these disciples? The angel didn't say, yeah, you're right, guys. Life stinks. You're right. <laughs> I mean, God will get it if you just bail. I mean, look, you gave it your best shot. You lasted a few weeks. Some people came into the kingdom. You know, hey, he, what does he expect from you? We're only human. Angel didn't say that. He didn't wipe their noses. He didn't say, oh, you poor guys. You know what he told them to do? Look at verse 20 again. Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Do what? Do you remember where all this trouble began? Look at verse 12. It began when they were in the temple. And what does the angel of the Lord say? Get back to your assignment. Get back to the assignment that God has called you to do. You're not going to quit. I won't let you quit. Go back to the temple. 
and keep doing what you were commissioned to do. Don't quit. Keep your assignment. Won't look at it, but remember the prophet Elijah? Remember the prophet Elijah? Remember that big big scene in 1 Kings 18? It's not going to be on the screen. Maybe just make a note of it. 1 Kings 18, that's where he challenged all the apostate uh, priests of Baal there at Mount Carmel said, hey, whoever's, they said, whoever God, whoever's God is true, let them answer by fire. And remember, they just went crazy trying to get their phony God to answer, but it's not going to answer because he doesn't exist. And remember, Elijah just went up there and prayed, and then the fire came from heaven, and they all knew that Yahweh was God, and, and uh, all those priests of Baal, I mean, they were all killed in God's judgment and all that. It was just a massive I won't say revival, but it was a massive uh, uh, presence of God upon the nation of this apostate nation of Israel. And then you go to the next chapter. I mean, you think, wow, it just can't get any better than this. God answering by fire. And you go to 1 Kings 19, and where do we find Elijah? Jezebel has his poster at every post office in town. She's put a hit on his life. And when you come to 1 Kings 19, where do we find this mighty man of God saying, God, kill me now. I can't do this anymore. What? What? What are you talking about? He just says, I just want to die. God in his mercy, you know what God does? Remember the raven brings him some food. Some people, I don't know if this is true, can't prove it. Probably write a book on it someday because you can't prove it. You know, people will buy it. But anyway, they think that the raven brought food from the king's table. I thought, well, that's a cool idea, isn't it? From Ahab's dinner table, the raven was bringing him food. Sounds fun. Can't prove it. So it's one of those white space doctrines. But anyway, so he's feeding him, gives him some water, tells him to rest, tells him to Get in the presence of God. And Elijah says, oh, but God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And you know what the Lord says? You can read it in verse, uh, verse 18. Well, first of all, the Lord says, get back, go back, and keep doing what you're doing. Be my voice. Get back to your assignment. And the Lord says, oh, by the way, I've got 7,000 in Israel who've never bowed the knee to Baal. So Elijah, get over yourself. You're not by yourself. I got more going on than you. Do you realize that sometimes God's got a lot more going on than just me? And that sometimes circumstances that he allows me to walk through, sometimes it might just be a bigger part of some things that I may never know about. But like Paul said in Philippians 1 was about verse 12. He said that, remember, I've talked about this a lot, the things that have happened to me, Paul's in jail, have actually advanced the kingdom of God. Maybe the stuff that has happened to you is advancing the purposes of God beyond what you know or will ever understand. God did the same thing with the Apostle Paul when he was in Corinth. Look at this in Acts 18 sometime. And, And this is when God visited him, the Lord visited him in the, in the night in a vision, and he tells Paul in verses 9 through 10 of Acts 18, it's not on the screen, write it down. He says, do not be afraid. I just wonder 
If God says something like that, it's maybe because Paul was afraid. Don't be afraid. Paul, afraid? Well, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in the city. Now, I don't know if Paul was ready to quit, ready to throw it down, but it was enough that God visited him in this place and said, Paul, I'm not going to let you quit. And then the Bible says in verse 11 of Acts 18, Paul continued there for a year and six months teaching the Word of God. Isn't it amazing when sometimes we just get that assurance from God? We can just, man, we can keep going. We can keep going. But you can't do that when you're just lounging out of the things of God. And you're just going to pop in for a little sample every once in a while. This is an all, this, this is an all in thing. This is an all in. Don't quit. Don't quit in temporary seasons of unfruitfulness. I didn't even talk about the joy that goes with it. How many of you have seen at least one Rocky movie in your life? I think they're up to 28 now or something, right? I think it's Rocky's dogs are fighting and something, all right? How many of you have seen at least one of those, right? And they really all have this, you know, when you come towards that end, you, you just know the same formula, right? Well, in Rocky 5, right? yeah, Rocky 5, there's a scene there, and this is where, of course, Rocky now, he's older, right? He's older, and he's kind of been training up some younger guys, but then there's this hotshot fighter by the name of Tommy Gunn, and he's the next up-and-coming wannabe Rocky, and it comes to the point that he challenges Rocky to this fight. He challenges the old guy, the, the young guy challenges the old guy, Rocky, to this fight, and it's all hyped up. And in the beginning, you know, of the fight, this is kind of towards the end, you know, Rocky comes out, man, he's just, he's doing it, man. He is, Tommy, he is getting beat up, getting beat up big time. In fact, he knocks him down. And just when Rocky thinks, man, this, is, this was easy, mailed it in, Tommy Gunn comes up behind him, and bam! And all of a sudden, Tommy takes the upper hand. And Tommy is just, man, he is beating Rocky to a pulp. And Rocky got real silent there. Wow, that was cool. <laughs> and Rocky goes down. And you think, oh, it's all over. But we know it's not because he's got at least 10 more movies to make, right? But he goes down. And, you know, in that moment, you think, all right, maybe this is it. If you're watching in that, I mean, this is it. And while Rocky is down and he just kind of, I mean, he is, he is out. And you hear the ref counting. And you think, this is it. And Rocky in this haze, you remember his old manager, Burgess Meredith, played Penguin on Batman. Burgess Meredith named Mickey. Mickey. That was his, that was his trainer. Well, Burgess Meredith and all he had, he died in real life. So and he sees Burgess, he sees Mickey. Sees Mickey, that's his trainer. Now, don't this is not an advocacy of hearing dead people. It's just a story. All right. So don't read anything spiritual in that way. All right. 
And he's in that haze, and he's down, and he sees Mickey. And you know what, Mickey, if you know anything about Mickey, you know, he's an old gruff, cigar-chewing, cussing kind of guy. I'll clean it up a little bit. And in this kind of vision and haze, when Rocky is down, you hear Mickey saying, I didn't hear a bell. I didn't hear a bell. You get up. You get up, you bum. You get up, you bum, and finish him off. Can you hear the music starting? See, if I'd really planned this out, I would have had them, you know? Feel like quitting today? Laura says, get up. Get up. There's another round. Did you hear a bell? Because there ain't been no bell. Get up. Keep fighting. Don't make a decision to quit when you're in the middle of a temporary setback. Don't make a decision to quit when you're tired, angry, frustrated. And don't make a decision to quit when you're temporarily unfruitful or have no joy. One last thing I want to read for you. It's been an encouragement to me and I try to keep it in my Bible as a reminder. Some of you are familiar with it. It's written by Helen Steiner Rice called The Bend in the Road. And sometimes that's all it is, is a bend in the road. It'll be on the screen. Sometimes we come to life's crossroads and we view what we think is the end. But God has a wider, much wider vision and he knows that it's only a bend. The road will go on and get smoother. And after we've stopped for a rest, the path that lies hidden beyond us is often the path that is best. So rest and relax and grow stronger. Let go and let God share your load and have faith in a brighter tomorrow. You've just come to a bend in the road. Don't quit. Don't quit. God won't let you quit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts of everyone here, and God, you know the exact need of encouragement, Lord, that we all need and have. And Father, as we know so well that obstacles are part of this life, and maybe even more so as Christians, because our allegiance now is to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're not seeking our way. We're not seeking our will. We're seeking your will, your way, your purpose. So I pray that today, Lord, those who Lord, needed this reminder to get up. The bell hasn't rung. There's another round to fight to keep going, stay strong, depend on you, lean into your strength, because God, you will not let us quit. God, when you saved us, those, God, that have been born again, God, when your word says in Ephesians 1 that you chose us before the foundation of the earth, you sent Christ to be our Redeemer.
to secure forever our salvation. God, you've made an eternal covenant by the blood of Christ to buy us, to purchase us. God, you've put a great investment in us. And God, you're not going to let us quit. By your grace, by your mercy, we will persevere to the end. We may go through valleys. We may go through side roads. We may go in circles. But God, you have purpose and destined our life. And God, because of your sustaining power and grace, God, you're going to enable us and have enabled us to get up, wipe the dust off our clothes, and fight another day. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith.